your cultural competence. Listen to interesting stories. Learn about the cultural pitfalls and how to avoid them. Get the global perspective here at Culture Matters Podcast on International Business. We help you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences, helping you develop your cultural competence. It's time for this week's guest at the Culture Matters Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Smith. Welcome to the Culture Matters Podcast, episode number 71. This time, we're not going really far, although this guest is very international. His name is Jelle Mattelaar. And Jelle is spelled J-E-L-L-E, and his last name is spelled M-A-T-T-E-L-A-E-R. There you go. Jelle is a serial entrepreneur working for Zero Point at this moment, the organization that he works for and that he started. And he has a passion for people, cultures, technology, design, and food as well. We're going to the interview in just a moment, but I also want to point out the fact that you can not only listen to this podcast, but you can also look at this podcast being a videocast if you go to YouTube. And an easier link would be to go to culturematters.com slash YouTube. There's the overview of all the video casts, the video interviews that I've done so far. For now, let's get right to the interview. Good afternoon, Jelle. Good afternoon, Chris. That's very, <laughs> that's a very enthusiastic tone. And right before I hit re- record, actually, I knew you were a lot more enthusiastic. <laughs> so how are you? Tell me. I'm very good. I'm very good. It's a, it's a pretty cold morning or pretty cold afternoon already. Yes. Uh, here. So it's the first, I think the first frost actually. So uh, yeah. It is. And of course, the audience doesn't know the audience that's listening to us and the audience that's watching us. And, and when you're listening to this on by iTunes, uh, the podcast or watching the video cast via YouTube, they don't know. They can see the backdrop of where you are, but they don't know where you are. So let's hit it off with the first question and tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you come from, uh, where you are right now, and tell us a bit about your cultural frame of reference. That should keep you going for the coming 10 minutes, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Okay, because that was a whole list. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, where I come from, well, that is uh, also a bit of a... Uh, mystery mystery not a mystery but uh, yeah it's difficult always to define uh, where, where we come from because we come from so many places mm-hmm. but uh, I was born in Suriname mm-hmm. uh, my parents were there um, actually my father wanted to do his uh, civil duty instead of uh, going to the army so he worked there in the hospital in uh, Paramaribo mm-hmm. which is the capital of that, of that which country. is the capital of indeed of, of Suriname and uh, they liked the place uh, quite a lot, um, and uh, they end up staying there for many more years than they were supposed to. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, then a few things happened in Suriname, which uh, which didn't go uh, as they hoped they would go. And um, then they were actually f- sort of uh, forced to come back to Belgium. And uh, then they started a new life and actually I don't remember much from the whole Suriname experience but it's always been there as uh, when I was growing up because a lot of the friends of my parents obviously were in these international circles and we end up flying all over the, the, the world. We end up going a lot as kids to Africa but also um, I remember um, going to Haiti seeing the slums in Haiti at the age of, I don't know, 13 years uh, yeah. after a stop in um, 
Florida uh, when we went to the Magic Kingdom. So I think that's quite that, a contrast, isn't it? Yes, I think um, I think I was exposed there at a very early age to the biggest two contrasts that we have in this world. And I think ever since that that start uh, at birth, we always kept on traveling, and it sort of stuck. And uh, although I've lived most of my uh, schooling uh, life in Belgium, mm-hmm. um, I've always been out for the for the major holidays, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, that continued. Uh, I studied then in um, in Leuven, which is uh, which is in Belgium, mm-hmm. and uh, also there I always chose for the most international option. Um, or every time I could find a reason to travel and explore new countries, new continents. Yes. Uh, I was always uh, eager to go. So, um, yeah, over the years I've visited many places. I've lived a big chunk of my life in Belgium, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, after uh, university or during university, I also did one um, part of my studies in Singapore. Mm -hmm. Um, and I did my thesis in Pakistan. Okay. Um, and there's many more projects that we've that I've done in between as volunteer, um, either in Indonesia. I've done a volunteering project. I've also been involved with as a volunteer in Rodriguez, an island off uh, Mauritius. Mm-hmm. So anyway, where am I from? I think uh, all of those places and all of those experiences have. Uh, brought uh, a lot of me and I wouldn't consider myself Belgian okay. Belgians as Belgians already have a you're not the average Belgian no no, no. but uh, I think Belgium is already an interesting country because of uh, our history as, as Belgians so yeah um, I like to think of myself as a European yeah. and currently I am in uh, Belgium I'm back home after a trip uh, of about uh, three weeks in uh, Sri Lanka okay and uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of all the questions that you asked. So I'll, I'll run them by you again. Don't worry. We're just we're just listening and we're trying to get into the atmosphere here. So if I'm not mistaken, you are from the same city. You are currently in the same place that I am in. Oh, really? Yes. Um, yeah. I'm in Leuven as well. And if that's your hometown, then uh, we could actually maybe switch off the mic and scream at each other if, that's, if you're not that far. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't tell you about that. I'm sorry. No, no, no. no. I thought you were. Uh, yeah, I am a Dutchman. Yes, I mean by my yes. by my Dutch accent, you could tell. But no, I've been living in Belgium for the last ten years, and um, majority of the time, actually, here in this wonderful little uh, university city called Leuven, which is about twenty kilometers east of Brussels. And Brussels, the majority of the people will actually know as being the capital of Europe, where everything with the European Union happens. Remember yes. that. <laughs> Absolutely. And so, a lot of things happening. This is just, you know, painting the picture for uh, the majority of the audience, um, which you do not know, Jelle, is uh, our American. The, about 50% of the uh, the audience comes from the United States and the rest of the, I mean, the other 50% comes from the rest of the world. So we have a very interesting and a very international community that actually picks up on this uh, on this okay. podcast. So you know who you're talking to, more or less. Yeah, if I just want to flip back to a couple of things that you mentioned. You said your your parents spent some time in Suriname. You were actually too small to remember. That Does that mean that your dad was a Dutchman or is a Dutchman? Because Suriname possibly at that time was still a colony of the Netherlands, which gained its independence in 1975. 
if I'm not mistaken? Um, correct. Um, but uh, no, my parents are both Belgian. Mm -hmm. uh, they're both okay. uh, Flemish. Um, and um, yeah, the, the reason is that it was part of our international corporation uh, from, right. from government. Right. And um, yeah. Okay, so you don't know anything about, you, you can't remember anything about Suriname. Well, no, there's, no, not okay. really. I, but the thing is, over the years, I wonder which part of the pictures became memories. Yes. And which, <laughs> so yes. there's this fine line. I was, I was definitely too young to, to, to have very active uh, recollections. Although I do remember or think of Suriname with great enthusiasm. Uh -huh. and, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, for those of you who are um, uh, geographically impaired, as they say, Suriname is in the north of South America and it's, uh, it's right next to Venezuela. That, that in terms of putting it in a geographical position. There's, um, not sure if there's a, is French Guiana in between there or is that on the other side? So there is uh, French Guiana, uh -huh. which is still a French uh, property, and there is then Guiana on the other side. Oh, yeah. And it all sits on top of the Amazon rainforest. So yes. actually, basically, Suriname is almost entirely rainforest. Green, yes. yes so it's exactly. Uh, yeah. It's one of those um, one of those elusive places that I've always wanted to visit and never actually got to visit. But there's it's still on my list. Um, yeah. And for the prime reason, actually, that I would like to go there is is that it's very awkward to fly like twelve hours. And then come in a tropical country where they actually speak your home language, and that's yeah. a very awkward experience that I've had in 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 a couple of those Caribbean islands, which which apparently are still part of the Netherlands. Um, you you said you you grew up basically you're an expat kid, right? Well, I think that's how I feel. Although that my entire life has been, or most of my normal uh, schooling has been in Belgium. Okay. Right? So um, I followed. Majority of the normal steps, not all of them, but yeah. <laughs> mostly I followed the normal Belgian um, schooling system until I was 18 years. Okay, all right, fair enough. So you're not a true expat kid, but you were you were certainly bitten by a travel bug from a very yeah. early age. Yeah, well, and the thing is, every every holiday possible, we were not in Belgium, so yeah. it felt like uh, yeah. And so. not in Belgium means that would not would also be further than France, for instance. No, no, we would be in Africa, okay, we would yeah. be in uh, America, we would be in Asia, we would, you know, we would be, no, it, it would definitely be further away than Europe. So if you, and, and then you said um, in your introduction, you, with all this, it, you said I'm not the average Belgian. Um, so how does this influence, or how does this, how do you think this has influenced you as a kid growing up to be now a, a mature adult? Um, how does that make you differ from, as in using your words, the average Belgian? Um, I think it has well, the, the fact that I'm running businesses which uh, are on two different continents is uh, probably one of the things that Belgians being quite risk averse uh, would not really uh, dive into. Yeah. Um, so, so in that way, I've always had this, I've never sensed that uh, abroad or uh, foreign culture is, is, a, is something to be afraid of or is the unknown. It is rather the want to be known. Yeah, than it, you incorporate it as you yeah. grow up. Yeah, I think so too, yeah. 
Okay. The, the reason I'm asking is because I, I have a daughter. She's 12 years old. And she is, I mean, she's from a child. She's growing into a young woman, etc., towards um, being an adult as well. And I, and she has, she's half Indian and half Dutch. We live in Belgium. So she's, and I see her, this outgoingness as well. It's part of her personality. But, you know, as easily as anything else, she just goes to Paris. She goes to Dubai. Then she goes to New York. Uh, and just just like that it's and it's 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 the world is just it's it's much broader and i think that might be your your view as well yeah absolutely yeah. i think yeah. that being a really more of a citizen of the world kind of a thing i don't really i love belgium i love leuven it's yeah. it's great it's a great city but i also find it very limiting to think of ourselves as only as being in that box and the world has so much to offer, so much sure. to learn. Yes. And uh, I think that has been instilled in me from a very, very young age in traveling. Because then you're forced to reconcile the fact that there are people who have a very different value system from yours. And still they seem to be able to get along quite nicely yeah. and create wonderful things. Yeah. So the, the knowledge that whatever you've been taught is not the only wisdom is quite humbling mm -hmm. and yeah. uh, I think in that sense it's it's a very it's, it's very interesting to, to to incorporate that and just also see what the opportunities are with the world that we have today because the world that we have today is no longer the village of uh, no. you know what uh, when my parents grew up yeah it's, exactly it's, I mean you don't have to go back 500 years it's, it's yeah go, go back 20 30 years and you're there that's, that's long enough yeah, yeah. true I often think that, look, for, for me going now to Sri Lanka, it's like going on a bus. It's like a no-brainer. I go take the train, I get on a plane, I'm there. And then when I even have to think that, okay, it's even only 35 years ago or 30 years ago that my parents went to Suriname, and already that must have been quite a thing. Like they were still communicating with yep. letters, like the, yes. the feedback <laughs> time for like, okay, this kid is born. Okay. Ah, what's his name? You know, that, that kind of, yes. okay, no, that, those are not the questions that you ask. Yeah. So it's this whole dynamic is changing. And I think that is very interesting. And it offers a lot of opportunities to people of my generation, but even more for the next generations yeah. that are, um, yeah. And for that, I think the matter that you're tackling um, culture, it is really yeah, a very important aspect to be aware of, mm -hmm. but also to understand its limitations, yeah. but also understand, you know, where we need to take, you know, other people's culture into consideration and what other people think is insensitive and not sensitive. So. Yes. Yeah, good point. Is there getting to this because this is it's not always a business podcast because we have different we have all kinds of different people uh, being a guest like yourselves as well. But you are an entrepreneur. You call yourself a serial entrepreneur as well. Um, being being an entrepreneur and working for the company that you work for, which is Zero Point, correct? Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you say that very doubtful. It's funny that you say work for. Yes, but I work with. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. But, uh, you're. You're. Yes. You're. You are part of that organization. You exactly. started that organization. Yeah. Fair enough. I'd like to talk about that in a moment as well. Um, but my question first is, is a step back, and that's is why do you think with the experience you have working internationally for you as you said yourself this is a no-brainer understanding different cultures is a no-brainer still there are so many organizations 
um, in the world that work internationally and they shrug their shoulders and they say it's my way or the highway or we're just going to roll out this blueprint and it should work in every other country. Why do you think companies brush over cultural differences so easily and so fast? I think it's just uh, the McDonald's model. You know, you have one hamburger chain and you have your hamburgers and all your French fries coming from the same place. It's just easier to work that way. It doesn't uh, work. No, I, I think one of the reasons that I'm not working for one of those organizations and that I started my own company is because in certain settings, you have to marvel at the beauty and efficiency of scaling up things and have a model like, uh, you know, Henry Ford had, uh-huh. but uh, or McDonald's for that uh, matter. But in certain settings, you have to be aware of the context in which you operate. Yeah. And if you lose feeling of that context, yeah, I, strange things happen. So um, I think that a lot of large corporations, um, previously they still had a lot to offer which, you know, would just like um, put that under the rug, uh, the, the whole cultural yes. uh, dimension or even the whole people uh, uh, dimension because there was a lot to offer because a lot of know-how was coming in. And, but I think that balance is very much tilting uh, in a different direction because, well, now technology is available for everyone quite democratically. Yeah. So now I think these big organizations have to really, really find how they work with people, especially across uh, borders uh, and across uh, cultural barriers. Um, and I think culture is a big part, uh, you know, being you know, Indian or subcontinent or Europe or that p- part of culture. But I also think uh, you know, large organizations will have to, have to rethink their working culture of how do we deal with mm. people. Yeah, uh, but that's a whole other. Uh, <laughs> well, well, it's getting more and more important, but there's a slow movement. But I, I think it's a really slow movement. Um, to to what extent, Yella, does does your background, um, or to what extent has your background, your your multicultural experience, if you want, how has that assisted you in doing the business, the running the business that you currently do, and could you possibly point out where things could have gone? different or wrong possibly would you not have that experience now that's an interesting question um i I think with 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 0.1 of the most important nuts that we're trying to crack Mm -hmm. uh, is that we believe that virtual teams or teams that are like you and me Mm -hmm. right now we're Mm -hmm. sort of a team uh, we're, we're trying to work something to, to, to yes. create something else. Uh, but virtual teams in the sense that people who do not, haven't met before today, that are working together uh, across cultural boundaries in different time zones, um, I think there's a really big puzzle to solve and how we can do that mm-hmm. in the most efficient, uh, collaborative way in which all parties gain. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that specific solving or trying to work, it's a gigantic puzzle, but yeah. you know, for us working on that puzzle day in, day out is, I think, uh, in part because of the history that both I and my business partner have. Mm-hmm. Because we've had this multi-cultural uh, exposure, we've seen that people in other countries are just as bright, just as skilled, 
just as ambitious. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think we've seen the fact that whatever country you're from, basically we all have similar ideas and ambitions in life. You yes. know, it's our culture colors it in a different way. Yep. But once we get to see that, we say, okay, look, if there's going to be the internet, mm-hmm. <laughs> and if there's going to be Skype, and if there's going to be, how are companies of the future going to exist? Because why would I sit in my car for two hours in the morning in a traffic jam, oh, yeah. to reach somewhere, to sit next to someone, just to be able to send him an email? Yes. That is not very efficient. So, but, and I think... I can only, or I've only started to think of that puzzle because of the history with, that I had in studying in Singapore, working uh-huh. in, and traveling across the world. All right. Okay. Good point. Thanks for for answering that. Uh, talk, talking about Singapore, and then I'd like to move on to what what Zero Point does in in outsourcing and offshoring, as it's uh, it's stated on your your LinkedIn profile. Why did you pick Singapore uh, to? Because you did a master's there, correct? Well, I did part of my master's there. Yeah, it was um, it was uh, the Wharton School had uh, an affiliate there in okay. Singapore yeah. called yeah. the Singapore Management University. Yeah, and uh, it was a university that came uh, well recommended. And in our uh, program uh, for uh, exchange, it was the Erasmus Mundus uh, program, yes. uh, and typically that is an exchange which is happening between. Uh, European uh, universities that students will go from one university to the next for about a year. Mm-hmm. So, but I had the uh, privilege to attend to the international version of that, and uh, Singapore came up, um, and I had also an option to go to India uh, or any European uh, country at the mm-hmm. time. And at the time, I was really focused on China becoming such a big uh, powerhouse, and um, I. Uh, just in my uh, early 20s and I wanted to get a taste of uh, Asia mm-hmm. and actually Singapore is a beautiful melting pot mm-hmm. of worlds in which um, all worlds combine mm-hmm. yet they make their own culture worthwhile okay. and um, I think it's interesting to see because it's mainly Chinese yeah. uh, then there's also a large population from the subcontinent, but it has this Buddhist, Hindu, uh, Muslim mix, which is just creating something very beautiful. And uh, for me, it was just a nice gateway to get more Asia without really, I think I would have learned probably much more in Singapore Mm -hmm. than I would have learned if I would have gone to maybe any of those countries that uh, directly. So, It's really a gateway to a lot of cultures, a lot of ideas, a lot of innovation. Yes, yes. Okay, so you're, you're th- and, and how long did you stay there then? Uh, I was there, it was, um, uh, I stayed a little bit longer, but it was like in one year. Mm-hmm. I had to do uh, so many courses and... Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Nice, that's a nice place. It's, uh, yeah, well... Uh, as they I say, it's a fine city, right? Yeah, well, I wouldn't. I, I, that's probably a city I wouldn't mind living in. <laughs> mm, I can imagine. I can very much imagine. Yes. Um, t- talk about Zero Point, the company that you uh, that you started, being the entrepreneur that you are. Say you work in outsourcing and offshoring. Tell us a little bit what that is and um, where where you think that culture plays a role in that. Um, well, so, so what do you do at first? Yeah, basically, what we do is. Um, 
if I specifically look at Belgium, we have about, uh, uh, I don't know the exact numbers, but it's about, only for Belgium, it's about 16,000 ICT vacancies for which there are no people. Yeah. So uh, there's just not enough people to fill the gaps in uh, for programmers, software engineers. And the problem is that uh, the economy and the demand for these skills is growing, but our supply from the labor market is staying somewhat the same. Mm -hmm. So the problem which we have right now with 16,000 people, and in Europe we're talking about hundreds of thousands, if not millions uh, of people, yeah. um, is a problem that's only going to increase over the next 15 years. So mm, we also, Bart, uh, my business partner, he worked for HP for a long time, mm -hmm. for, for, before we started this company, actually not that long. Yeah. But... Um, he had this experience with uh, Indian outsourcing and everyone was like saying how terrible it was and how it's not working. And uh, that really contrasted with what we had sensed when we were traveling and even working and studying overseas right. that, look, it's, uh, it is possible. Mm -hmm. You just need to go about it with the right tools. Uh -huh. And part of those tools is, of course, dealing with the culture. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, so yeah. So that is uh, definitely something that um, that yeah that was uh, that was with us for. Uh, so zero point focuses on um, finding IT qualified people in the subcontinent of India, who fill positions that cannot be filled here. So are you getting these people here, or do you take a project and do you let them execute it there? Yeah. The, uh, the business model that we had set up is we specifically wanted to look at long-term partnerships uh -huh. because one of the things that I think uh, was a failure in uh, the uh, outsource model as it was applied before, it was like a quick fix to a certain problem. Uh -huh. Whereas I think that the specific, um, if you really want to uh, make offshore and working with teams over a distance work together, mm -hmm. you need to invest in the relationship. Yes, very much. Typically in those countries. Yeah, ex yeah exactly. So it's not like I take one and it's going to work automatically. No. It's like, no, we have to get to know the person. We have to know what what is his background, what is his culture. Um, so our approach to this was that, look, we will set up our own centers uh -huh. in Southeast Asia. Uh -huh. So we have one center in Islamabad, mm -hmm. Pakistan, um, where we recruit and uh, hire people who work for international customers of ours. Mm -hmm. And we have one center in Colombo, uh, Sri Lanka. Mm -hmm. So we really also wanted both of those locations to be uh, under control rather than outsourcing this whole thing ourselves. Mm -hmm. Because we really wanted to feel that, look, this working with virtual teams can work, but there are a few rules that you need to abide by. And this is also something that we demand from our customers is that if you want to make this work, it has to be a long-term engagement. Yeah. So what we do is we uh, imagine that a customer in the US or in Europe says that, look, we can't find the people, we need a skilled people with XYZ skills. We say, okay, look, we're going to look at the dynamics of your team, mm -hmm. We're going to look at how your team interacts. We're going to look at the strengths of your team, the weaknesses of your team. And then we're going to try to find a team that will, you know, work 
good with the team that you're Compliment you that one, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, but that also entails a lot of training of the American of, or the European team mm -hmm. because it's also a lot of their mindset that has to change of how we can work with, uh, with an international team. Right. So, it... it <laughs> Does that run smoothly? Or, I mean, the answer must be yes, because otherwise you would not be in business. Are, are organizations, and I'm primarily thinking about Americans who want everything quick. You know, it should, it, it, what do you mean, invest a day? I have an hour for you, 20 minutes. I mean, I'm exaggerating here, and I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to offend 50% of the audience being American. Nonetheless, it, it's, it's something... Yeah, are they? How do you how do you convince them that this is worth their t investment in terms of time? Well, often it comes from a failed experience elsewhere. Okay. Yes. Uh, so that's always uh, that could be one way. It's also uh -huh. it maybe a negative uh, way, but it, I think we don't uh, we cannot target the average company either because. Uh -huh. To be able to work in an international setting, you need to have a certain mindset, a certain you know procedural, not not procedure down to it, but at least a structural mindset. And if if you've already invested in structure, chances are you know like how are we going to communicate? What kind of meetings are we going to run? What is important to this company? If you are already investing on that level in your organization, then you'll also realize that look. If we're going to have a kick-ass software project mm -hmm. or a software uh, that, that will be core of our enterprise, then we also need to invest in the people that will actually make it. Mm -hmm. And if I can't bring that point home, then that's fine because obviously those people are making a business and they're making a lot of money, but those are probably not a match with whatever services that mm -hmm. we're offering. Yep. And in that case, I would probably not suggest them to work with uh, with 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 any you know any outsourcing company to begin with, yeah. um, I think those customers would better be served with people that come to their office and talk to them. Right. Yes. Yeah. You you, you cannot be um, a jack of all trades here. That exactly. does, not, does not make sense. So if I would be if I would be making use of your services as a as a zero point as a company, would I deal with you only, or would I would I deal with say my Indian long term non employee relationship? Um, we actually have a model that goes in in in, in um, what we call it's actually a, we we call it the OM model, um, which is. <laughs> so, um, Ohm, well, Ohm, Ohm could be. Actually, I hadn't thought of that. That's okay. a nice right. insight. Thank you for that. Well, That's for free. There you go. <laughs> Welcome. Free consultancy. Uh, oh, no problem. Later. <laughs> um, but uh, in Dutch, Ohm actually stands for, um, yeah, what does it stand for? You, you're also Dutch. You can translate Like, like uncle. Uncle. Yeah. Yes. Well, and the thing is, we wanted to be uh, a guide uh, in the companies that we guide in this process mm -hmm. as an uncle. Not as the paternalistic father who right. tells you, do this, do this, do this. But we're more there as like, okay, if you need advice of how to work better with your team, we're there. Yeah. Uh, we can train you. We can show you the ropes. Uh, but we can give you the best practices. But in the end, it's you who's going to have to make it work. Uh, it's your project. Mm -hmm. It's your software. We'll make sure that we, you have the right people. Mm -hmm. They have excellently skilled. Yeah. But it's still that connection is still yours to make. And we build bridges, but in the end, it's the customer that has to 
maintain and work on it every day. So uh, at first I'm in touch with you and then eventually you hand that over to the Indian counterpart. Let's stick with India. And yes. occasionally if I if, if there's a bump in the road that I can get back to you and say, listen, this is we need some streamlining here and there. Exactly. So there's there's a... Um, uh, with the O model, we try to say, okay, look, the most important connection that you have is you directly with the team that's mm -hmm. working on your, because they are dedicated working exclusively only for your project. Right. And we, we also like to have customers see them as their own employees, and, and we're the vessel that uh, supplies it uh, to them. But at every single step of the way, mm -hmm. we are there. We, we follow up uh, monthly uh, when the contract is years old, yeah. but we also follow up uh, daily if the contract is very new. It, it really depends on what state of the relationship is in, but we always try to have a Western uh, face or at least a Western mindset looking at the problem as well as uh, the, uh, the local mindset of whatever country that uh, uh, your developer is in, for example. Okay. So that we can always have a more multifaceted uh, view of a certain challenge. Because working with people that are sitting next to you is already challenging. Yes. Oh, yes. Sitting yes. with people that you never see, never get to meet, don't know the culture of, is that... It's uh, even more challenging. Oh, exactly. Yeah. And so, it's a concept that a lot, of com a lot of people find difficult to deal with, I guess, as well. I think so, too. And I think we're not there yet. But where I see, um, I see what today is being perceived as really a difficult challenge is going to be much more commonplace in 15 years because of the, the way the world is evolving. Uh, because your daughter will have much less of an issue dealing with somebody who's in Australia to then double check if the designs were approved by the Japanese counterpart mm. and then just to have a WhatsApp call to somebody in Argentina. Yeah. Yeah. For her, it's going to be like, that's, sure. That's just how it is. Yes, exactly. that's the ceiling and that's the floor and that's just how the world works. Very exactly. So, so, so I think we need to develop the tools for in those settings, get most out of it. Mm. And is, uh, yeah. is India a deliberate choice? Well, actually, deliberate. Uh, actually, we went India, mm -hmm. and we actually went the two countries next to it. So, uh, so today, Pakistan and Bangladesh, Pakistan and uh, Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka, okay, yeah, yeah. We we started in Pakistan with um, about ten years ago, yeah, uh, and then um, uh, Sri Lanka came, uh, you know, a couple of years ago uh, to the list. Um, but we actually we deliberately are. India is already a market which is quite saturated mm. and um, I think it would be very difficult for a company like ourselves to have any edge over the existing players. Right. So we, we specifically chose not India. <laughs> okay. Why not the Philippines? Are they not are they are they saturated uh, as well? No, I think there's I think at one point there's going to be a whole list of other countries uh -huh. that open up. There is Vietnam that there is a good op opportunity. Indonesia is also, yeah, yeah, okay. you know, uh, Philippines, any country that has basically a whole lot of people. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And, <laughs> and somewhat of an infrastructure. Exactly. In, especially in education. Yeah. Because the infrastructure, yeah, because uh, to be honest, we, as long as we have an internet connection and people, uh, we're good. You're good. We can, yes. we can make our own electricity, which we do. Yeah. We will have our own uh, backup uh, generators. 
our own UPSs, our own buildings, that yeah, we can... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the yeah. people and the skills that those people come with, that has to be taken care of by the society. You're a perfect example of the global economy, really, to that extent. And I think for a lot of people, it's uh, they see this as a risk, uh, but I see this as an opportunity. Um, yeah, of course, there's risks that things will change, but things are changing so fast yeah. uh, that we better adapt. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's it's not the fast that will survive, but it's the, the people that adapt. I guess yes. Um, I have a, a very a three simple questions uh, left for you because I'm looking at the time as well, and we're about 35 minutes into the uh, into the conversation. And usually they're about 30 minutes. My uh, my talks, but if they're good, they're good. So yeah, that's a compliment. There you go. Ah, there you go. Ah. Um, so the the um, question I had in mind was, you're you're uh, doing business with uh, people in Pakistan, right? Yeah. Do you ever get remarks like, "Isn't that dangerous?" Aren't there? They have. Do people comment on the fact that you're dealing with people from Pakistan? Um, I, or is that rather neutral? Or no. Uh, to be honest, uh, when we invested in Pakistan, Pakistan was really uh, on the verge of you know, economy was flourishing. A lot of international companies came in, and um, it was really Pakistan's heydays. Uh -huh. Uh, unfortunately for the country, yeah. um, it's not been very fortunate politically in the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of political instability, a lot of the unrest in Afghanistan also has made it such that yeah, it's come in the news quite a lot and not in a good way. Yeah. Now, the, on the other hand, I've lived in that country for mm -hmm. seven years. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I I have never I've walked I've gone I've gone to the border of Pakistan it, it, at times when this was uh, yeah, smart common sense using common sense exactly. But in those seven years, I've walked freely. I've done nothing special. Like I, I went everywhere where I wanted to go, and I've always had a very lovely experience. Like I have no not a single bad experience of my seven years in Pakistan and. I really wonder if a Pakistani would come to Belgium, mm -hmm. if he could say the same thing. Oh yes. Um, so uh, yeah, sorry. So that I I found that a very warm, welcoming people, unlike what we've seen here on the media. Mm -hmm. But coming back to your question, is how is it perceived? But I want to negate what is perceived. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is perceived in that way, but. We, when, whenever we have uh, customers that are willing to make the, the jump, we tell them that, look, we will go with you to Pakistan, we will go with you to the office. And we've had so many customers that, that have taken up, uh, us up on that offer. And afterwards, they go like, oh, my God, like, yeah. what was I thinking? It's <laughs> ignorance. People judge from their ignorance, really. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, good point. I was just curious because yeah, just Pakistan is not the not the most uh, how do you say not not the country that would come up first uh, top of mind if you no. uh, if you talk about the business that you're in. No, no, and then I think in Sri Lanka for us is much easier sell as a country, yeah. uh, although that both have very very skilled. Yes. You know, oh yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, 
One but last question is that's the most difficult one, and maybe I should have prepped you before the interview, but it's you, you'll do you'll do fine. Um, and I ask this every uh, every guest is that from your experience and the times that you've spent abroad, can you and your business experience as well? Can you give us three tips to become more culturally competent? Culturally competent. Well, be more maybe. E adapt faster, adapt easier, or maybe um, tap into your own experience. What have you done in when you had to move from one country to the other, or had to deal with again another somebody from another culture? What did you? What did you? What have you learned that works for you? I think, and then we're coming back to actually that previous question about Pakistan. Uh -huh. I, my belief is that when you go to a foreign country or when you're in a situation that don't really know the culture nor the people focus first on the people mm. and think about the culture later because I, I think often we come to to a meeting with a person and an individual and there's always these ideas or what this nationality is supposed to be or what our perception of these people should be and I think uh, I like the the Zen Buddhist saying you know empty your cup Go yep. to that person and go to that person fully. Uh, and I think when that person experiences that you're there with them and not with your preconceptions of, or your assumption of what exactly. they should be, yes. then there's this respect. So I think bring an, uh, empty your cup would be one. Um, mm -hmm. and, then, and then maybe second is uh, come with the full respect, full respect of their country, okay. their history, and uh, what... The thing that I've always uh, consistently done in whatever country I am, especially for business, I've always been um, eager to find out what are the um, uh, cultural signs for respect. Mm -hmm. Because, Example? Um, well, um, it, it really depends in what kind of uh, in what kind of setting, but um, in Pakistan, for example. Uh, Settings can be, especially because they have this British heritage, extremely formal. Mm -hmm. um, so I think you have to be very much aware of the rules, and especially if you're not aware of the rules and of the, the customs to show respect um, in certain uh, shaking of hands mm -hmm. or, or waiting your turn to, to do whatever. I think it's just reading the situation and being aware of which are the signs that other people do that pay respect. Yeah. Because as soon as they see that a foreigner has picked up on those signs, it, I, I think, you know, for me, it's a sign of respect to them yeah. that, look, I'm here in your country. I respect where you're coming from. And I want to I wanna respect that I'm allowed to be here with you. Yes. And I think, I think those actually, I don't know if I would have three, uh, but... it's uh, fine. <laughs> it's fine. They're really good ones. Empty your cup and uh, bring uh, bring a dose of respect. Yes. Uh, okay. Excellent. Yella, um, how do people pronounce your name? Your first and your last name, by any, any chance? Uh, Yella. Just you pronounce it perfectly, but uh, you're also. Uh, uh, I, 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 we speak the same. We share the same language. Well, well, I can uh, do your last name, which is Matalar, but that's how would how does an American or somebody from Sri Lanka say this? Well, yeah, especially when I when I go to the states, my name gets to uh, Matalar, Matalar, or uh, and 
often my name gets changed from yellow to yellow yep. or, or, or old yeller. Uh, old yeller. Um, sounds like a scotch brand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, Yella, if people would like to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do so? Um, just uh, through my Yella, uh, that's a J-E-L-L-E, my first name uh, and then at uh, my last name uh, dot uh, B-E. That is. Your first name, um, Dot, and then Matelaar, which is spelled M-A-T-T-E-L-A-E-R. Yes, indeed. I didn't do that by heart. I wrote that down. Perfect. <laughs> All right. Uh, Jelle, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you um, for taking the time, even though you're almost next door or in the same city. And yeah. who knows, you know, we actually might bump into each other one day in uh, the local Kaminski or something. Is well, that... I uh, I would uh, very much like that. That would All be right. nice. Thanks again for your time. <laughs> Take care. Chris, thank you. Bye. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Thank you again, Jelle. It's been a pleasure talking to you. A bit longer than the uh, the other, the average time, which is usually around 30 minutes. But like I said, if it's if it's a nice flowing conversation, why not let it carry on? I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I'll be back in two weeks' time with yet another interview. Take care. Till then. Bye-bye. That's it for this episode. The Culture Matters Podcast, helping you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences.